Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? When I was trying to get this podcast off the ground, I had a lot of questions. How do I record an episode? How do I get my show into all the apps people like to listen? How do I make money from my podcast? The answer to every one of these questions is really simple. Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now, Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise on your podcast. That means you can get paid to podcast right away. In fact... That's what I'm doing right now by reading this ad. I love Anchor because it allows me to record without having to spend thousands of dollars on equipment that I would probably have difficulty using anyways. So Anchor makes it all possible with a simple app. So if you've always wanted to start a podcast and make money doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start to join me, Lou Mavs, and the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. I can't wait to hear your podcast. Looking for some new podcasts to listen to? Well, Rat Sound Review Network has plenty of shows to choose from. Like Rat Sound Review, where they discuss the latest rock and metal news, as well as interviews and albums. Album versus Album, the King Diamond Podcast with Wayne Noon, Greg Noggle, and sometimes this guy. Smack him a gob! Ralph Vieira is also on our network with the Vieira Vault. There's also Old Man Metal's Musings, where he discusses heavy metal and beer. Music is Life with Lou Mavs. The Right Opinion for those who love politics. A South Park podcast called Suck My Balls. The Infinite Fringe. A watch-along wrestling show called Beyond Bushido. Extradivarius guitarist, the Timo Tolki podcast. And the great Harry Barnett with I Don't Even Like Podcast and the Laughcast. So check out RatSoundReview.com or search RatSoundReview on YouTube, Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. You're listening to the Music is Life podcast with your host, Lou Mabs, on the Rat Sound Review Network. Hey, everybody, what's going on? This is the Music is Life podcast with Lou Mabs. It's been a while since I've uploaded anything because with this stupid pandemic going on, I've been busy working from home and helping to take care of my daughter and just trying to keep him going freaking crazy. But I'm proud to say that today I'm actually joined on this podcast by two guys who I've known for the better part of 22 years. They're two of my closest friends uh, that I, uh, well, pretty much grew up with. One of these gentlemen is Bob Mango, and he was my partner on our college radio station at WSJU. 
So I'm really happy to be reunited with him in a public format like this. So Bob, welcome to Music is Life. Thank you, thank you. Hey guys. And our other friend that we have here is a guy who has just started getting into the personal branding and vlogging uh, arena. And I'll let him promote that uh, as soon as I introduce him. But he's also a great personal trainer uh, located in Queens Village. Um, do you still use the Alpha Flex brand name, Matt? Yeah, we still use Alpha Flex, but I'm actually making a new website called Alpha Flex Fitness. Okay. And Go ahead. It's got to be a blog type of format, so you can get to learn things and ask questions and all, all right. that good stuff. So the lovely deep baritone voice that you just heard was of Matt Nicolo. Matt, welcome to welcome to Music is Life. That's good to be here. Very cool. So I just mentioned that you're right now launching your own vlogging brand. So uh, take a couple minutes to talk about it. What's going on with that? You just uploaded your first video of which I, Lou Mavs, a.k.a. If you call me in the video, <clears throat> Sheepy. <laughs> and that, that's an old joke that I'll explain after Matt talks. But uh, anyways, Matt, go ahead. Talk about your brand a little bit, please. Well, Kokomoka Media is basically a channel about me and Cindy and just different daily activities and things that we do, topics, and it's got to be a little bit all over the place, and we're going to find our own little niche, but I think we both have a really fun time doing it, and you guys are all welcome to check out the channel. It's Coco Mocha Media. You can check it on YouTube, and I'm sure a link will be put somewhere in some sort of description. Yeah, definitely. I'll... Uh, uh... I'll post a link uh, at the at the description. Also, I'll uh, bring it back to it at the end. Uh, so it's Coco Moco uh, Media on YouTube. Mocha, and not Moco. <laughs> Coco Moca. Sorry, my bad. Thinking of Kokomo, I guess by the Beach Boys. Anyways, I don't know why I'm thinking of that. It's a horrible day outside. But anyways, so uh, yeah, so so I've known these guys since my freshman year over at St. John's University. So that was Jesus, 1998 met Matt on our freshman retreat and we bonded over a uh, love of Metallica and uh, you loved Rage Against the Machine back in the day. I, uh, I enjoyed it, uh, but uh, I know you were a huge Tom Morello fan back in the day. And yeah, he got a little too political for me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, later on that week when we went back to school, that's where we met uh, the edge crusher himself, Mr. Bob Mango. <laughs> hey. And again, a, uh, a mutual love of heavy metal music and all three of us at one point, WWF wrestling. <laughs> yes, at one point. Yes, not now. No. But, uh, but congratulations to Becky Lynch and Seth Rollins. <laughs> yeah, you don't even want to talk about that, do you, Bob? <laughs> you know what? I don't want to talk about wrestling. I've been watching too much Dark Side of the Ring lately. So I know. Oh my God, the last one with Owen Hart was mind-blowing. Oh, disgusting. I did not know that the Road Warriors Hawk, uh, the Road Warrior Hawk, worked for the uh, Yakuza when <laughs> <laughs> they toured there. Yeah, no, I didn't know that either. Um, it, it, it seemed like these guys lived very crazier lives than you even expected. But they're still uh, my favorite tag team of all time. But yeah. I mean, I didn't know that story behind them or anything. I just knew they were tag team and knew he had alcohol problems. Yeah. I didn't know went that serious. That's the one thing I didn't know about Hawk working with the freaking Yakuza. Anyways, so 
I think that uh, it's safe to say that uh, – oh, yeah, before I go that, so the whole sheepy thing. So back in the day in college, being the token Greek, and, uh, yeah, they used to make uh, sheep jokes at my expense, and I took it so personal. I was such a sensitive little lamb, no pun intended. Um, well, correct, was. Yeah, well, well, that's what happens when I moved out of my parents' house. I didn't care anymore, so whatever. I'm all good now. But, uh, yes, welcome to barn, this barnyard production of uh, – music is life but uh getting back to what i was saying before so uh bob and and matt and i joined uh we we bonded over a love of entertainment and one of the biggest forms of entertainment that we love was music we were all metal fans from metallica to slayer um i was a huge iron maiden fan and bob i think you credited me with getting you into maiden or did you know yes, absolutely cool and uh, Matt and I, we were always going to like the college radio shows that we always got free tickets for, including the one at the Voodoo Lounge. <laughs> the one at the Voodoo Lounge where somebody got stabbed. Matt, do you remember that night at all? Yeah, I almost got stabbed too. <laughs> Thank God you didn't. What is with you in concerts? I almost saw you get beat up at Fear Factory by some guy that was like three times the size of both of us. Oh, no, no. The the Fear Factory one. I almost got stabbed because I was stupid. Lou kind of saved my life there. <laughs> um, he literally did because I'm seeing a fight break out. So I'm like, all right, cool fight. Let me get involved in the middle of it. Someone hit me so I can hit them. And then also a knife. Lou pulls me back and a knife flew right by and almost hit me in the stomach. It's, and Lou's like, oh, there's soda on the floor. Watch him. Like, That's blood. And Luke freaks out. The last part I remember, I, I didn't remember the part where I saved your life, but I'm, I'm really glad I did. Yeah, I, I'd be dead if it wasn't for you today, Luke. Oh, well, to you, I say, bah. <laughs> I, I'm not making the sheep jokes right I now. I can do it at my own expense. It's all right. Anyway, so. so you literally ask us not to make these jokes. I'm just getting it out of the and way. And then anyway. you're constantly bringing it up. It's not like it's like once. I was trying to make a joke. Back off, anyway. So he likes the jokes. He's a little kinky bastard. Yeah. God. What the pandemic brings out. So, so back in the day, uh, we, each of us, not so much together. I mean, like, I would go see shows with Bob. I saw shows with Matt. I, let's see, Bob, if I can run down the list of bands we saw together, we saw uh deftones got smack we've seen disturbed we've seen chevelle we've seen uh rammstein together matt with you i know i've seen metallica i've seen um again that show at the voodoo lounge uh rage against the machine we did see rage against the machine <laughs> for free at uh outside the david letterman theater i cut my final full rage against the machine <laughs> right that was mid no that was midterms week yeah, midtown. It's like surprise yeah. midtown at the end of the week. I'm like, I'm going to Florida, aka going to see Rage Against the Machine. <laughs> no, uh, so I I would say that we were at the tail end of probably some of the best concerts that were happening or that that were coming apart. And it's funny because like this is a music based podcast, but the one thing that I always tell people, I say, you know, just because the way music is presented nowadays or the way that it's distributed, although different, can still 
make one prosper as long as they're true with their art and they don't rely on like outside forces like record labels and and what have you you know i always tell people you know what just put the content out just put the product out people will um if it's good enough and you know and if it starts catching the attention it'll grow that way otherwise i feel like the problem with the music industry today is that a lot of it is more cookie cutter than it's ever been and i could say that because it was getting to a point where it was so cookie cutter when we were in our late teens because well, we were metalheads. Everybody else was getting into like Backstreet Boys and NSYNC and stuff like that. That was what was considered hip and new at the time. I mean, never thought that we'd ever play that kind of music in a college radio station, but look who we went to college with. <laughs> and but, but Backstreet Boys are back. They oh, are right. back, and tour, and they tour with uh, New Kids on the Block from the decade prior. Now, have you ever seen the group covering Freak on a Leash Backstreet Boys style? I did not. Is that available on YouTube? Uh-huh. Oh, oh dear. Great, now you piqued my interest. Yeah, so, because... so part of the reason why I asked uh, Bob and Matt uh, to uh, come on the show today was because I thought it would be cool to talk about, you know – our experience as music fans then to what it's like for us now. So I kind of thought we'd do like a little like round table and be like, you know, what do you remember then? What, what, what did you look forward to the most back then to how you feel about it now? So um, I have a list of questions that I was going to read out and have everyone, you know, answer at their own accord. Uh, just so we could have like a good round table discussion. So, guys, if you're ready for the questions, unless there's anything else you want to bring up. No, I think we're good. Uh, these questions are going to be painful. Why? Because they're going to make you think? No, I, I don't think. I just say things. This is going to be <laughs> painful because back in the day when you and Bob had your radio show, uh, Phantom Lord and Edge Crusher were the names on the show. I wasn't allowed to talk because I would curse. So it's going to be painful because we now have no uh, filter anymore. Okay, I don't care if you curse. There's just no hope for me. I always cursed. (laughs) And that's what we love about you. Anyways, so, all right. So I guess we're ready to begin the discussion. All right, so, um, Bob, let's begin with you. Okay. And then, Matt, you take up the question after uh, Bob finishes. Bob, just give a sign to Matt when you're done. So, which bands would you say were more... Thank you for the DX suck it. Okay. <laughs> so, which bands would you say were the most important to you then? Uh, and which are important to you now? You know what? I have to ask you. What do you mean by important to me? My favorite bands? The ones... All right. So, like, when you were 18, 19, when we first met, like, there were certain bands that, I guess they hadn't become legacy bands at that point, but they're legacy bands now. So at the time they were either new or they were modern. So mm-hmm. who were the bands then that meant something to you? And who were the bands that mean something to you now? All right. Um, I guess back then is when I was really discovering music. So you want to ask me what I liked? It was just basically everything I got my hands on at the time. And you would listen to bands like Metallica, Slayer, Fear Factory, 
and slowly involved to Pantera, involved into Sepultura. And I was a kid who grew up on nothing but a grunge in the 90s. You're talking Nirvana, you're talking Soundgarden, Stone Temple Pilots. Now, you fast forward to today, I guess, the bands today, I just, I'm still listening to the old stuff. That's what's important to me. I go on Pandora, I go on Spotify, and I'm sitting there, I'm listening to 90s, 2000s remixes. Um, most of the stuff I listen to is all older. I haven't really gotten into anything new in the last bunch of years. Um, so you, the only bands that are coming out with music today, I like I like Brayton, Benjamin, Chevelle, Rammstein, Tool. I would say them more so than not Tool's the one band over the last 20 years that has really stuck with me. Them and Slayer. Because <laughs> who? How do you not love Slayer? This is true, but what would you say? It's uh, what, what is it about the bands today that just don't do anything for you? I don't know. Maybe it's the style of music. Maybe it's the accessibility of it. Um, I really don't go out and seek new music too much. In a lot of the mixes I listen to, it doesn't really bring in anything new. It brings a lot of older stuff in, even Pandora, like when you ask for certain bands. So I guess the exposure is the main thing. Whereas years ago, I was more exposed to things. Now, it's, you're not exposed as much. I admit that Pandora actually opened me up to new bands whenever, like, let's say if I wanted to listen to uh, an artist like, uh, I don't know, we'll say Asking Alexandria, who came out about 12 years ago. And Pandora would always, you know, plug the playlist with other artists if I liked it, I listened to it. And if I liked it after listening to it, I would download the album on iTunes. So that's the one benefit about Pandora that, that, that does that. And I guess that's what kind of separates it from Spotify or Spotify similar, because I don't really use Spotify. Spotify is most, I, you know what? I haven't figured out anything. They both kind of like, I, I don't know how they make their logic for music, but for me, I never got exposed to anything new in either one. All right. Okay, Matt, your turn. Um, I'm going to flip this on Ted a little bit. But that's just what I do. <laughs> I, one, listen to all sorts of music. You know that. I mean, yeah. technically, when we first met, I probably said my favorite group was Wu-Tang Clan. Still the best rap album ever, in my opinion, was uh, 36 Chambers. But I just, I'm like a sponge. I absorb everything. So, in actuality, it's... For me, obviously, at that time period, I, I like was obsessed with Rage Against the Machine, but, but politically, it's just too much. Um, now, what happened, I would say music today, I don't dislike music today. I actually am now absorbing more music, but I don't absorb mainstream music so much as I just listen to everything. I like listening to Icelandic music. I listen to like post-German music from before German had a language, before Christianity came into the place, and they kind of are trying to revive that stuff. So a lot of really weird musics are out there, so to speak. And that's why I love Spotify and streaming so much. If you find the stuff, it's really cool. And you can find groups that will never really make it because they don't have that that uh, promotion power. I mean, a group that I can think of that really should have been bigger than it was back in our time was Seven Dust. They really never yeah. got the recognition they deserved because they didn't have the marketing behind them. Meanwhile, just, I would feel like they're on a level of what Godsmack should be. They should be kind of in that range, so to speak. 
And well, not better than Godsmack. <laughs> well, that's that's a taste opinion, but what I mean is just like mm-hmm. they're kind of in that realm, that genre, so to speak. Not that they sound alike, but they're that hard rock type of thing. They're not like some people will say they're metal, some people will say they're not metal. They're in that heavy ish rock. And they didn't get any recognition really. So I listen to and I listen to all the old bands like Corn and stuff that we grew up with in the two thousands, still today have new albums, but they don't get promoted. So now if you know about Spotify, you, you kind of can get that connection to find all this stuff. It's so much more of a larger spectrum of music. Yes, the more popular stuff is shittier than it used to be. But Amen. there's so much more variety and artistic music out there now than it's ever been. But you just have to know how to look for it. Agreed. Yeah, I think one of the biggest advantages that uh, people have is like now they re- record from home and just put it out and see if it'll get any attention. Which we should be doing. I agree. And now that I have a MacBook, and now that I have, uh, where is it? Well, I, I just recently purchased, actually, uh, a uh, an XLR to USB um, interface. So this actually allowed me to record direct from my amp into a mic into uh, GarageBand on the laptop, and I was actually able to record a guitar solo for someone. So now I have the means to do it. Now we could do it. Yeah. Today, this realm, this day right now in this time period, anybody can basically make something and not have to deal with record labels anymore. Record labels are obsolete at this point. They got to be. And they don't like it. Record labels were obsolete to me as early as 2003 because um, at the time I, had, uh, I was in a band with uh, Jake Crawford and we were – this close to signing on the dotted line to being on the label until I read the contract and the contract said label owns your, your, your publishing label owns your copyright label owns your uh, logo label owns you mm-hmm. basically. So I would have had to have toured 300 days a year and probably, probably make less than the part-time fry cook at McDonald's. So I remember telling this to one of the bandmates who shall remain nameless, but it wasn't Jay. I said, I'd rather just put it out ourselves and we keep all of it. And the guy looked at me like I had two heads. Meanwhile, Chance the Rapper never signed with a, with a label and the guy just won a Grammy. Not that I'm saying that the Grammys are important because to me, they're not. I don't, but there's some significance with that. Sorry? There's some significance with winning a Grammy that you made it without a record label. Correct. Correct. To, I, to get that kind of acknowledgement. And like I said, 2003, I always looked like, like I had two heads. But, you know, I saw then that record labels were becoming obsolete. And I just didn't see the importance in them anymore at that time. You know what? I'm going to disagree. I think... Yes, you can make it now without a record label, but I think having one increases your likelihood of making it tremendously more. However, however, the problem with a record label is this. You got to look at a label as like a bank loan. Um, We'll say, um, like, okay, so when Van Halen signed with Warner Brothers, I brought this up in an earlier episode, uh, they were on the point system. Uh, they they called it a Motown deal. Mm-hmm. So what the deal was, was that Van Halen con- c- uh, collected nine points 
of a percentage of every album sold. Nine points of a percentage. Now the points could have meant like 0.05% of 1%. It could have meant anything depending on the, on the kind of deal that they, that they signed. The problem was the album went platinum in the year and then they found out that they owed the record label $2 million. So if they had sold 2 million albums, they would have had to have paid the label $4 million. And the, so that's what I'm saying. That the, the problem with record labels is that you got to kind of got to look at it as a bank loan, where if you don't pay back the money that they invested in you, or if it's, if it's not made yeah. back, then you end up being indebted to the record label for the rest of your life. And if you go from like, let's say, ideally, if you go from a record label, let's say to from Sony, which has tons of money to Nuclear Blast, which is one of the more popular independent labels, but they don't have the money that Sony does. It's like, yeah, you could prosper on Nuclear Blast, but you still got to pay Sony back. And then once you're done paying Sony back, then you got to pay Nuclear Blast back. Uh, uh, nuclear Blast back. So that's kind of why I feel like, you know, because I'm more in favor of the artist. And I understand that it's a business. But it would help if a lot of musicians out there, I think if they had an idea of copyright law, publishing law, you know, just educate yourself on, you know, all those things that would keep you from having to be put in a position like that. Agreed. Agreed. I, I know what you're saying about the record labels, and but that's what you pay for. You get so you can either try on your own and not use their connections and their knowledge of the industry and their ability to get you out there a lot more, and you can make it on your own, or. You go to the, maybe you need to have some, I don't know what the better scenario is. Maybe everyone's scenario is different. Maybe every band is different. Some would rather give up a lot to go with a record label just because it's a much higher likelihood. While other people would rather bank on themselves. Matt, what do you think? Hey, there's a lot of ways to look at it. And I would agree with Bob. He's pretty, he's right in a way. It depends on what you want to do. Uh, record label will get you out there more possibly. They can also screw you more possibly. It's a risk you have to be willing to take. You have to look at the risk reward factor, kind of like when you invest in a stock market. Nothing's guaranteed, but there's a risk reward play out, so to speak. Tool, for example, doesn't deal with record labels anymore. They're a superpower. They screwed over the record labels in many ways, but it took them a while to do that. Um, you also got people that maybe just don't want to tour all the time and be. Maybe they want to make music and just create it, go on tour in their local area or once in a while around the, the country or world, wherever, but not be held down to it. There's a lot of YouTube stars that are like that. What's that guy? You would know the, the name of the guy. He's, uh, uh, what's his name? He's like, he does a lot of covers of songs, but he's like Icelandic or something. Leo something. Mm -hmm. Leapfrog Studios or something, his channel's called. And he goes around Europe once every so often, and that's it. And he's making hundreds of thousands of dollars from his YouTube channel alone. So did he make it? It depends on what your definition of making it is. 
Yes, he's not Metallica. He could probably he will never be Metallica in that regard. But he has fun creating music, and he's making money that he doesn't have to have a real job. So I consider that a win, and he doesn't have to be a slave. And he can't have a family, so he gets to have everything. Depends on what you're willing to sacrifice for what your goals are. Like big big arenas and bands like that, and the big arena scene, it's kind of not what it is anymore. But there are bands that do that still. I mean, look at Ginger. They came from Ukraine. They would never became anything for the most part back in the 2000s. It's because of social media that they started to become popular. Because they've been around since then. Nobody really knew them because they're too. They're a little bit different and they're isolated. They're not in the main, the main, uh, mainstream. mainstream areas of life, so to speak, in the U.S. or Britain. I mean, Ukraine's the middle of nowhere for a lot of people. Like for the music industry, it's not really going out to Ukraine or gotta care about a band that has a show of like 200 people in Ukraine when they can go to like some band in America and find the same thing. So they were smart and posted that performance video of Pisces because I think that's what got them a bigger fan base. They were already signed at that point though. So they wouldn't have even gotten to that point. That was what I'm saying had not been for mainstream, uh, not mainstream streaming. They wouldn't have been known if they were just isolated. Mm. So, and they're an awesome band, but they yeah. wouldn't have been known had it that just was the been last back in the day. That was with you. That was an awesome show. Thank you for bringing me along. Yeah, it was fun. No yeah. something more than again. Ah. <laughs> no comment, but yeah. <laughs> well, uh, all right, cool. So. So if there was one band or artist from that time that's not around today that you could bring back, who would it be and why? Go ahead, Matt. You start. Uh, that's too hard. For me, I guess, I mean, I could sit there and say Nirvana because they're legendary, but I really didn't listen to Nirvana at that time period when they were popular. I was more to hip-hop at that time. I didn't know that rock music existed because I had no MTV. Um, so I would say Alice in Chains just because I want to see Lane Stanley perform. I know that Alice in Chains exists now, but without Lane Stanley, to me, it's just not the same thing. Fair enough. Bob? Well, Matt touched on it, but I'm going to say Nirvana. You know, growing up, they were my favorite band. To this day, they're still one of my favorite two or three bands. You know, I was 14 when he died, so I never really had a chance to go see him. And, you know, seeing Foo Fighters is one thing, but it's not the same. I mean, he's a man who revolutionized music more so than anyone else in our lifetimes, I think. Yeah, Kanye can think all he wants that he did it, but uh, no. Nirvana changed music, I think so. There was more of a change of music from 1990 on than any other time frame in our lives. So I think, I don't know if he made me like that kind of that next generation of stars of Soundgarden, Pearl Jam. I don't think any of them are possible without Nirvana. I would say even punk music wouldn't have the resurgence in the 90s that it did if it wasn't for uh, Nirvana. Agreed. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not a Nirvana fan, but I will give him credit where credit is due. Um, as much as I hate to admit, admit it, Nevermind was it was a it was a great album, but I was more of an Alice in Chains fan. Alice in Chains fan, 
But since you brought up uh, Alice in Chains, Madden, you brought up Nirvana. Um, well, not not to sound cheesy, but I wish Chris Cornell was still here because I would have loved to have seen Soundgarden in their prime. You see them after recently? Before I did not. I did not see them when they reunited. I I never had the chance and. Uh, uh, an old drummer of mine from an old band of mine um, saw saw Soundgarden at Mohegan Sun with Coheed and Cambria opening up the show for them. So I had to give a lot of credit to Soundgarden for even taking one of the newer generation of bands out on tour with them, especially a band that sounded nothing like the Soundgarden or even anything remotely like any of the bands they went on tour with. Hold on. Roses. You wanna the original lineup. Hold up. Let me see if I can kill the virtual background to give you the whole picture. Look who played with them. Oh geez. <laughs> oh man, that's uh that's pretty insane. DNR Soundgarden, January twenty eighth at nine PM. I'm guessing this was sometime like eighty six, eighty seven, maybe a little later. Probably 80, 89, because I think uh, Stephen Adler was still in the band by that point. <laughs> but uh, but uh, aside from those three, one guy I wish that I could bring back would have been uh, Peter Steele of Typo Negative. Yeah. I got to hang out with him a few times. At Duff's in Brooklyn, right? Yep. He's pretty cool. Mm. Um, you ever hear the Howard Stone episode where he he model for Playgirl magazine. <laughs> I <laughs> do you remember it? I didn't hear the episode, but I, I I did hear that he modeled for Playgirl magazine. Yeah. So Howard Stone told him that like ninety percent of the people that look at play, he said he did it for the girls. He's like ninety percent of the people that read Playgirl magazine are actually guys. He's just like fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but you know, he he was proud. I think he made like two thousand from that photo shoot. He said so. But to go back on your question earlier, I would actually pick a group that wasn't even around while I was alive. It's not really a group. I would rather see Jimi Hendrix more than anybody, if I had to pick somebody to say. But yeah. I wasn't alive, and he different time period. So I'm going to travel back in time because I think the sixties had really good music. They did, and you know, I I think Hendrix is responsible for the um, guitar heroes that came out in the seventies, eighties, and even you know part of the nineties. So yeah, it, it it sucks that you know, for me as a, as a guitar player, you know, like I'm glad that we still have Tony Iommi and Eddie Van Halen and Michael Schenker, but I'm I'm bummed as hell the fact that we don't have. Um, Jimi Hendrix or Randy Rhodes. Uh, Randy Rhodes being Ozzy's guitar player on his first two uh, solo albums. Which, in my opinion, and, and I love Jakey e. Lee, but I don't think that Ozzy released a perfect solo album from start to finish after Randy died. But that's just my opinion. And, and fuck Zach Wilde. Anyway. <laughs> uh, he seems like a cool guy to hang out with. I'm going to bring up one more, de- one more uh, dead band. Or at least dead lead singer. I would have loved to seen Jim Morrison and the Doors. That would have been a cool group to see as well. See, sixties, seventies, all that time period. 
you're not going to get a show like that. Like that kind of like be like that kind of music you don't have today. I, I don't know what to label that as. Like stoner rock, acid rock, whatever you want to call it. But it doesn't exist. Course, I, I would, I mean, they're pitching all this classic rock. I would have never called them acid rock, but they were definitely jazz classic. They were definitely jazz influence. You could hear it in, in, in what the, in like, especially Robbie Krieger's uh, um, solos. I mean, Light My Fire, it's like pretty jazzy, in my opinion. But uh, yeah. I, I, one, more, one more guy I think we could all agree on would have been Dimebag. Well, I yeah, did. but I did see Pantella at least, so I can't sit there and say that I wish I saw them. Yeah, I've seen them, I've seen them at least twice. And, and to your credit, Lou, you were the one that got me into Pantella. Oh, well, thank you. Appreciate that. By the way, I, it's not that I, I hate Zach Wilde. It's just his overuse of pinch harmonics after a while drives me crazy. Yeah, I could see what you're saying. But once again, he just seems like he'd be fun to hang out with. Yeah. Uh, but he, he did. He was part of the group that pelted Iron Maiden with eggs in San Bernardino. So I can't respect that. <laughs> uh, all right, cool. Moving on to the next question. All right, so what did you guys expect out of seeing live music then? And do you still feel like the live performance arena is as important to you today as it was then, or do you feel like it's changed? Who's starting? Not me. Well, Bob, you could start this one because Matt started the last question. All right. Um, to me... One of my favorite things, I guess, going to do was going to see live shows, going to Hammerstein, going to Irving, um, wherever. That was used to be one of my favorite things. As I've gotten older, I can do without standing in the middle of a pit for three hours while sweating around a whole bunch of people. <laughs> I, I've gotten older and a little more refined in my later years, so it's not as important to me to see bands. In fact, I'll only go see now bands I really either haven't seen or I'm dying to go see again. So I would, right before this whole pandemic, I was dying to see Tool again. So unfortunately, my tickets are still a limbo, but um, yeah, to me though, as I've gotten older, I guess I don't want or need to be there as much. I'm fine with seeing a live performance on my laptop. Matt? Yeah, I would say, well, you know my mentality when I was young. <laughs> I just wanted to go to the show that had, yeah. <laughs> I wanted to go to every show that had the best pit. All I cared about was the pit. It's like, I, I love music. I like to listen to music. But when I went to a show, I wasn't going for music. I was going to just, like, have people be doing shit out of me and beat the <laughs> shit out of them. It, it was, it's not, there's a thrill that you get out of 50 people trying to pound the living crap out of you, which cannot be explained to anybody other than people that have been in a mosh pit. Well, let me ask you this, though, because you said there was a difference between being in a pit at a hardcore show as opposed to being in a, in a pit at a, at a metal show. What do you think the difference is? Well, I can't speak on totally on the hardcore show in the sense that I didn't go to many hardcore shows. There's just a certain group of people that did not follow the same ethics, so to speak, in the pit. Like, I know it seems like it's just pure chaos, but for the most part, nobody's really out to hurt each other. Somebody gets knocked down, they help each other up. But then there was like a group of people in, in the music scene, the small New York hardcore scene, it just seemed like they wanted to hurt people, like, trying to kick people in the nuts, for example. It's like nobody really does that at a metal show. It's like if you get knocked down, you, you help the person up, you make sure they're okay. 
at that, it just seemed like there was like, well, I don't know the person's name, but he probably doesn't remember me. But hey, if he does, he uh, kicked me in the nuts at a show. Some little kid had little. I'm a I'm I'm a fully out the kid. <laughs> he had little uh, hair, blonde hair streaks that dangling down like this, and he he was like a little midgety kid that I guess got off on hurting people. And a few shows later, maybe a month or two down the road, can't forget the kid used to always wear stupid uh, Jason mask. He, he was there at a show, and I made sure to come up behind and grab both his hands, knee him right in the face, and broke his nose probably. And uh, I left him on the floor bloody. But a yeah. hawk nobody seemed to care if he did that. So I don't know <laughs> if that's how it was, or it's just that little small sector. But most shows I would go to would never be like that. So the kid got what he can't, he got, um, he got his due, so to speak. And um, for me, I was never the type of person that wanted to go into a pit to hurt people. It's more like somebody got knocked out. I was the first person to help people out, but I do love the rush of, it's just a rush when a bunch of people are just like, I can't explain it. There's no words that can explain it. It's just, it's fun. And I, to this day, I'm older now. I'm a lot stronger than I was back then and put on some weight. So I, I could still go into Marshall. I was happy when I went to Ginger and was able to go into a pit again. And I was crowd surfing. I was doing all sorts of fun stuff. I was just having fun. But yeah, I'm not the typical 40-year-old, you know, or almost 40-year-old. <laughs> a big smile came across my face when I saw you in the pit for Ginger. I'm like, living the dream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's fun. That's all it is. It's meant to be that way. I got to say, though, the last time that I, I, I could say that I visually saw a pit was with you, Bob, when we went to go to the Mayhem show at Jones Beach, where it was uh, Slayer and King Diamond uh, oh. as the headliners. And this was the first time ever that I saw that they took the seats out of Jones Beach on the, uh, on the orchestra level. Yep. They didn't know that they could do that. Yeah, that's how it is from now on. The whole entire front is the floor. Really? Yeah. yeah. A couple shows there now. I was there for Foo Fighters. I was there. It's not that big, but it, it's not that big for like a floor area either. My Jones Beach fits about 15,000 people. So but the floor itself is small, is what Bob's getting at. It's like. Well, yeah. But anyway, we, we saw there, and, and it, it, was, it was great to see King Diamond and, um, and Slayer. I mean, especially considering that a couple of years Slayer disbanded. Um, again, rest in peace to uh, Jeff Hanneman. Um, but that had to have been the worst pit that I ever saw. And I can't believe I'm going to say this, but it was during a Slayer show. Like, I'm watching these kids on the floor, and it's like, it's, it's like they're shadow boxing with themselves. They weren't even like, you know... I realize in today's era of the pandemic, nobody wants to get too close to each other. But this is 2000 freaking 15 we're talking about. And they also don't allow pitting, uh, moshing. They'll break it up. Jones Beach is not allowed moshing. No, not at all. No, that actually, I don't know. During a Slipknot show I went to recently, there was, there was a big pit there. Like, I, <laughs> I wasn't in it, but there was one because I had more nosebleed sections, but they were going at it. Wow. I've seen shows where they've broken them. They've broken them up before. Yeah, but this is Slayer we're talking about. I mean, <laughs> you you can't be on the floor at a Slayer show and not like want to mosh. But I was I just thought that these kids had no concept 
of what to do in a mosh pit. I was like, you don't deserve to be here, but <laughs> very offended considering that, um, you know, we've seen some of the coolest experiences in pits. I am, it's funny, you saw Slipknot recently. I remember them the first time they came to New York was at Roseland. They were opening up for Machine Head and Coal Chamber. Never thought in my life I'd ever see three circle pits going on at one time. And then I saw Slipknot. I said, well, now I've seen everything. <laughs> Having seen Lamb of God at Jones Beach at OzFest, and they did the Wall of Death there. And Aaron, my wife, was with me at that show and she just had this look on her face like oh my god like something she had never seen before in her life and the most epic wall of death is baby metal did you just say baby metal did a wall of death yeah you can look it up it's on youtube what not during the resistance song was it that one yeah look how big it is that's funny, considering that's a that's a song that Dragon Force I think wrote for Baby Metal. It doesn't matter. Those little girls have the power to make people beat the living hell out of each other. Uh, I do love that song, actually. I'm not gonna lie. Um, I, I guess I'll answer this question. Um, yeah, I mean, of course, the live um, experience for me is is still very important. I mean. You know, before the lockdown, like, you know, my cover band, Hard Drive, we were performing every weekend. And, you know, you're going through a list of 70 songs and you're picking the best uh, 35 that you want to do for a three-hour show. So to you, it's like when, you, when you're up there playing them, it's like, oh, this one again. But for someone that hasn't seen you before, it stupid printer. Um, for someone that hasn't seen you before, you know, and it's their first time seeing you, they want to be entertained. So from what I experience, even if you're an original act or even if you're uh, a cover band or a tribute band, people still want to see good live performance. So I, I think it's, um, it's important to give them, you know, what they want. But if there's one thing I can't stand... <laughs> and I'm not saying that um, I'm not saying that uh, uh, you know audience members shouldn't expect good musicianship when they're um, uh, when when they're when they're seeing somebody perform, but I just don't like it when because there's more. Um, because there's more transparency, because there's, there, there, there's more of artists doing everything themselves, setting up themselves. I don't like it when they feel entitled to like want, I don't like it when people that are not part of the show try to make themselves part of the show. And I think having gone to as many concerts as I have and having played as many shows as I have, I think that's probably like the biggest problem that, 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 I've, that, I've, that I've seen. Bob, you're looking at me like I got two heads right now. Not sure what you mean. Um, I'm saying that sometimes people, when they go to live perform, the, the one thing I don't like about uh, seeing live performances is when someone who has 
like somebody in the audience will actually try to bring attention upon themselves and try to take away from the band. I don't like that. I don't like it when people try to like. Give me an example. Up. What you mean? Sorry. Give me an example. What you mean? A girl flashing her boobs. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> oh wait, that, that. Like that. Okay, like. All right, maybe that's. Uh, <laughs> like, an example, like you, I'm sure if you're mentioning shorts happened. Okay, so when it happens. So I think after what happened to Dimebag, people that shouldn't be on stage should just stay off stage. Is what I'm saying. Uh, like th- that's what I'm saying. Like people will sometimes feel like the need, like to like rush the stage and be like, "Hey, look at me!" Or oh, okay. yeah, I, I get what you're saying, but that guy alone was nuts. He's yeah. not. To, most people just jump on stage or jump off the stage or to get a moment of. Screaming with the singer on a microphone in small venues and big venues, that doesn't even happen for the most part. Yeah. But you can't stop people from having their fun as long as they're not hurting somebody. Now, the guy that did that to Dimebag is a complete asshole. And he's like, he's got mental issues like blaming Dimebag for breaking up the band, but decides to shoot the guy that he thinks broke up the band. So, therefore, how's the band ever going to get back together then? He's like, nice job. Yeah. I mean, one of the, the one of the dumbest things that's happened to me is that people will, as I'm playing like a guitar solo, people will actually come up and like I'll be playing a single string, trying to like do something, and all of a sudden someone will come up to my guitar, and go bang like that, you know, it's like hit all the strings. Like, that's happened to me before, and I, I fucking hate that. Well, that's guy being an asshole. So just smack him in the head with a guitar. It's fucking all. Who says I haven't? <laughs> I mean, literally, I would go, guys, stop, stop, stop. And stop the show at that moment and go, excuse me, sir. <laughs> Make him, point him out. Make him the ass. I do yeah. that. I do I that. And the they hate it. I mean. So why did you do that? <laughs> so like how comedian does a heckler? Same thing. I mean, that's what Phil did during the Black Sabbath Pantera Deftones concert I went to. What happened? There was like some old people that were there, like older people. Like I couldn't see them particularly, but they were basically heckling Phil. Tell him to go up to stage. They want to see Black Sabbath. They don't like Panto, right? And it's understandable. Like Panto and Black Sabbath would sound different. So for an older, really older person, they might not like the way Panto sounds. But he was just basically wanting to get to Black Sabbath. They were there for Ozzy only. So so Phil basically took a a, a bag of weed or a dime bag or whatever of weed, threw it at the guy like he rolled that shit, light that shit, and smoke it, and relax. And he just like made fun of him and then went back to the show. So you've got to learn to, if you're a performer, you've got to learn to basically heckle the heckler, make him look like the fool, like Bob said, essentially. Now, not you per se. Technically, it's not really your job. You're the guitar player. It's actually the front man's job to do that. Well, I hate to throw my singer Matt under the bus because he's a dear friend of mine, but he uh, gets nervous talking to the audience sometimes. But, um, you know, he'll be like, I'll leave the talking to you. And I'm like, big mistake. Big mistake. Seriously, he should know better. Well, you know better, but he doesn't, and he still hasn't learned it yet, so. (laughs) I mean, it's hard, especially when you're a cover band, I guess, because when you're a a band that people are coming to see specifically for your own music and you're popular enough to have your own music, so mm-hmm. to speak, you kind of already own the audience in a way, you know? 
Well, in your state, you're just there performing shows. I mean, songs that people like, but they're not necessarily, some of the people are there for you because you're your friends and your family and stuff, but they're not there to specifically see Lou's band right now. They're there to see, hear a bunch of cover songs. So you don't have the ownership of the audience, whereas somebody that goes to see any band, like your old bands back in the day that you were for Jay, they're there to see your band. So therefore you actually own the audience, so to speak. Not totally own them, but you have a little bit of more control to swing around your uh, your power, so to speak, of water. Yeah, I get what you're saying. No, and, and that's a valid point. All right, uh, next question. All right, so what's something you missed today that was around in abundance back then, but is it now? And you could pertain it to anything when it comes to how you enjoyed your entertainment. Like, what's something, do you guys remember anything that was different then that's not the same now that you wish you could bring back? You know, like, I used to enjoy going to the record store. Yes, I still call it a record store. There was a little mom and pop shop around the block from where I lived, and I used to love going in there looking for new music. I think the problem with streaming, because um, it's it's conveniently there, um, there's not as much effort to maybe discover new stuff. Meanwhile, back in the day, I remember Bands sold CDs on the strength of the awesomeness of the of their album covers. Like, Rage Against the Machine. I'm sorry, that photograph of the first album of The Burning Monk, that was powerful. And I remember buying the album just because I was like, I got to hear what this sounds like. Valid point. Yeah. Hmm. You're making a valid point. It's something, I don't know. I mean, I agree with you. I, I used to love the record store. It used to be our thing. Group of friends. Oh, let's go to Tower Records. Go hang out there for about an hour or two. <laughs> Listen to shit. Walk up and down. But... And I guess I bought the uh, Rob Zombie album because of the album cover. <laughs> I was like, ah, it just looks weird and cool. Which one was that? Los Exorcisto or Hellbilly Deluxe? Hellbilly Deluxe. Mm. That was like literally the first rock album I officially bought, by the way. Wow. Because I was into like mostly hip hop music. If, if it wasn't for Rage Against the Machine, I probably would never got into metal, by the way. And the only reason why you saw Rage Against the Machine was because it was the Rage Wu-Tang toward 97, right? Yeah, and I only went for Wu-Tang. I didn't know what the heck Rage Against the Machine was. Wasn't Atari Teenage Riot the opening act? They might have been. I don't know. I just remember Wu-Tang and Rage Against the Machine. Hmm. I just remember, like, wow, this is, like, awesome. Like, this is, like, a, such a high energy that they had. Like, musically, I didn't really understand it at the time, but I just, like, the energy that the crowd had was just, like, something I, I never felt before. Mm-hmm. And then I'm, like, my one friend, I'm, like, oh, I hear about this band named Metallica because the name is popular. It's not because I even know what they sound like. They're like, my friend gave me the Black Album. I was, like, yeah, this is all right. I like Rage's Machine more, more more um, energy. It's more the energy that threw me in than the music at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So, but then I bought Hillbilly Deluxe because I just thought the album cover looked cool and I was hearing it in the 
the store. And I was like, ah, oh, this sounds pretty cool. And I just like, that was like on constant repeat. Like I would just play it all day long. And at that point, I was like, I stopped listening to mostly all rap music. I just was listening to that like a constant loop, the whole album. And that made me the sick degenerate that I am today. And we love you for Thanks, it. Thanks, Rob Zombie. <laughs> yeah. I still haven't seen Rob Zombie. You're kidding, right? Mm-mm. It got uh, rained out at Jones Beach when I was going to see him. I didn't go for Marilyn Manson. I mean, I don't really care about Manson that much. I want to see Rob Zombie, but it got rained out. I admit when Manson first came out, I was a fan. But then when I saw him in concert, um, at Ozfest, it was main stage was Ozzy, Corn, Disturbed, Manson, and Chevelle. Chevelle, as always, great show. Disturbed, great show. And Corn, great show. Ozzy, great show. Manson, meh. I was not impressed. What I've seen on YouTube videos of Manson live, he's not. He he's not that good. He's too busy drinking absinthe, I think. Creation-wise, I give him credit for his creativity side. He's like the perfect YouTube. He would be the perfect YouTube or streaming star because he does his own artistic twist of things. Whether you agree or disagree with his music, he's got his own spin on things. And I give him credit as an artist for that. Yeah, I thought his first... I, uh, his albums up until 2003, I thought were really good. But, you know, having... And the funny thing is I remember seeing a video, uh, a bootleg of a show he did at Austin, Texas in, in 95. That's the Manson that I would have preferred seeing in concerts. And, and I think that was because he, he was younger, he was hungrier, he was, you know, trying to succeed. But I think back to 2003, his live performances was just blah. But Zombie, I, I, I saw in concert, that was Ozfest 05, and he was headlining the second stage. And the next time I saw him after that was in 09 at Hammerstein. Uh, Bob, you weren't at that one, right? No. I think I might have gone with Tom Crimmins. Um, but Zombie put on a great show. And he's got John Five in his pocket as his guitar player. Sorry, no comparison. John Five is just an amazing talent, and he—he, he, I think he does a great job uh, enhancing his sound, which is funny. Yeah. He was in Manson right before Zombie. Well, he left because Manson kicked him in the head, supposedly. <laughs> the, mean, this is a, yes, while doing a goose step, he kicked him in the head. Yeah, that that would make me quit a band, I guess. What the goose step or the kick in the head? being kicked in the head from the lead singer. I'm like, you know what? I'm kind of not feeling this band anymore. I got to go. Should have taken his telly and thwacked him on the head with that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, but yeah, I mean, you know, the, the going to the record store, something I miss, um, you know, I, I don't even think Best Buy has a CD selection anymore in stores. CDs uh, are obsolete. Yeah. And um, I feel like the fact that Hot Topic had every okay so here's one of my experiences that make you go duh that that i had i was i was uh driving to my drummer's house for rehearsal one night and had a typo negative shirt on and um the customer next to me was wearing um 
she was in front of me. She was wearing a shirt from a band. I think it was, uh, I wrestled the bear once. Yeah, I kid you not. That's the name of a band. I wrestled the bear once. <laughs> and uh, we were talking about bands that we liked. You know, just struck up a conversation. And the idiot behind the cashier at 7-Eleven says, what's that on your shirt? I said, typo negative symbol. He said, is that your blood type? I'm like, wow. That, that's, I, I didn't expect this person to know who typo negative was because, you know, Pete Steele had just died five years before. But it's like, you see me talking with this person, you know, wearing a, another band shirt and we're talking about music. And it's like, and it's not like we were whispering, but how can you be completely oblivious to the fact that he's like, oh, I don't see that on Hot Topic. And once they said that, I'm like, I, I, I just, I, I, I kind of grew irate at that. <laughs> but is that your blood type, Lou? You know, I forgot what my blood type is, but it's not O negative. Oh, okay. Just checking. I heard O was the type of blood where you can give anyone with A or B blood a transfusion. Universal donor blood. That's what it is. Thank you. All right. Uh, moving on to the next question. So I think you guys uh, will, we kind of answered this earlier. The next question was, is, um, do you stream more or is physical content still important to you? Stream. Stream. And you know what? You know what decided it for me? My car. Because you, that was when I upgraded. I had CDs my whole life. I got a new car. had no CD player. Everything became digital. My car's old as dirt, so it still has a CD player in it. But Oh, it doesn't have one of the tape players that you put like the little tape in? Oh, it's not, no, it's not that old. <laughs> <laughs> Get in there, though. Almost. Aaron had a Saturn that had that. It had the cassette player that you hooked up to the mini disc player. Yep. A Walkman. It was a, oh, no, Discman. Sorry. Discman, yeah. Oh, man. Those are the days. To be in an archaic museum soon. <laughs> uh, well, let me ask you this, though. Let's say you did go see uh, a show at, like, let's say Revolution or. Um, Amityville Music Hall or, God, there's nothing left in Queens anymore that hosts original music. Let's say you saw the opening band and they had uh, physical, uh, you know, physical content for sale. And if you liked what you heard from what you saw them, would you buy the CD? Yeah, I have nothing to play it on. Um, oh, I, would, I would look it up on Spotify. Yeah, exactly. There's nowhere to play it. What are you going to yeah. play it on? There's no CD players anymore. I can attest to that because I had some old uh, radio, like, you know, old uh, boombox things to CD player. I sold them things and made money off of them. They're actually worth more now than they were back then. Because people still want to play the old CDs. I'm like, all right, you want to buy this? This thing cost me like 40 bucks, and this guy was willing to pay me 100. So I'm like, all right, take it. Nice. You pulled a Gary V. You flipped it. <laughs> man. Like, on top of that, I don't really like CDs anymore. They take up room. I, I much rather just go through the streaming sources now because it saves room in the house. And they always get scratched eventually anyway. Streams yeah. don't get scratched. So like there's nothing there's no reason for me to have CDs anymore. I like the decoration. That's why I used to like them. I used to hang my wall, like my little rack of CDs up and they were decoration. That's all they were at that point. That's what I used to do back in 
in the day. My whole boy used to have like old bands and things I like in it, but I got older now and yeah, it doesn't really get the girls. So, well, it's um, one of the things that upsets me though is um, sometimes all all you could buy is uh, physical content because I I had this conversation with uh, Bob on the phone last night. Um, so Fear Factory was one of the bands that we all loved growing up, and you know I looked on iTunes recently, and like the only things from from their catalog that I found were Soul of a New Machine, uh, Demanufacture, Obsolete, um, what was the one after Digimortal, and maybe their most recent one. Everything from Archetype to um, Mechanized is no longer available in any streaming formats. Um, a lot of Black Sabbath stuff from 1988 up until uh, 92, and then everything else from 94 to 96 is not available. Typo Negative's last album, Dead Again, is not available in any streaming format. Um, as far as Black Sabbath is concerned, I think that has to do with Sharon, but um, I'll, I'll leave that alone. But, you know, as far as... Uh, Fear Factory and Typo Negative are concerned. I think it may have to do with the fact that the labels aren't exist. Uh, they don't exist anymore. And maybe those labels own the rights to those songs. The artists had uh, probably gave up their rights to release the album. So you can't buy the, you can't buy the, uh, you can't listen to the products in the streaming format. So the only way you could buy it is if you buy the physical content. But because that's so scarce, it's expensive wherever you go, whether you go on um, Amazon or uh, Discogs, you know, that, for me, I, I think that's the biggest slap in the face to music fans. Uh, yeah, I know what you're saying, but not much that can be done about that. You know, bands give up their rights. Bands give up their rights. They know going in. No, that's on them. You know, that's always on them. That's like what you did. You made the choice not to give up your rights. So I think that, you know, the way it is, the way it is, you know, going in. Okay. Yeah. So be smart, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get into something without looking into it first. Exactly. And take some publishing classes, take some copyright classes. You'll smart yourself up. <laughs> All right. So, all right, so we could end on this question or if there's something else you want to talk about afterwards, we can continue on. So what's something that the modern you would tell the younger you from 20 years ago? Fuck as much as possible. <laughs> I, don't I know if, Sam would appreciate that. I don't know if you ever saw Little Miss Sunshine, but <clears throat> I was just thinking of Alan Arkin in that. Oh, okay. When he's like, I got some advice for you to his grandson. Fuck. Fuck as much as possible. <laughs> Great <laughs> actor. Grandson. <laughs> I, <clears throat> I don't know. What would I tell myself? I mean, we're trying to keep this in the music realm, I presume, right? Um... Well, again, it's like, we don't have to. I mean, we, we, we've kind of already discussed that, you know, who we are today at 39 
because we're not 40 yet. I don't give a shit what anyone says. Um, you know, it's a lot different th- from then who we were at 19. You know, like our tastes, our likes, our dislikes have changed. So, yeah. you know, what's... Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to pose the question like, you know, do you have any regrets uh, over the last 20 years that you would change now? But it's like, you know, what's something you think you would have done differently? Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm not really sure what answer the question. So since you gave the question, how about you answer it? Probably would have taken more advantage of the time that I had with you guys. That's probably something I would have done. Um, probably would have, um, uh, not that I didn't put any stock in my friendships, but I mean, the fact that we're here 20 years later talking about, you know, how much we've changed as, as grownups and how different things, you know, I mean, events change people, circumstances change people. But the one thing that I, I never took for granted was my friendships. And um, I guess I just wish that I had done more with you guys and, and everything, because I feel like, um, you know, I mean, part of the reason why I, I wanted to do this after uh, Bob discovered that I had a podcast was because some of the, some of my best times in college had nothing to do with anything except just hanging out and just having bullshit conversations like this just because they were fun, you know? Yeah. So I probably would have taken more stock than I did. And I, I hope that if anything, I, de- I definitely took stock in my friendships with you guys. And I only wish I could have done more. You know what? I, I think if you didn't take stock, we wouldn't be here right now. So thank you for that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at the time, I didn't realize how much fun I was really having. But if we talk about all the stuff we did back then, I mean, I don't think we could have a radio show. that would be like X-rated at this point. So... Uh, <laughs> We had a lot of uh, crazy things that we did back then. So I don't, I don't really have any regrets from the past. So, Yeah. I would say my only regrets are certain people who are no longer in my life that I probably wouldn't have, I would have regret, I regretted knowing. That's about it. Yeah, I got one of those. We all have at least one. We may have a couple. Uh, <laughs> laundry list. Anyway. Anybody can figure out who that one is. We're not going to name names. They don't deserve names. I can't believe you didn't like Fred that much, Matt. <laughs> I just put up anyone from our past. Yeah. I can't believe you named him by name. <laughs> he was the first one that came to name. Fine. Omar. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, the, the former GM that you took over the role and did a better job in two months than he did in eight. Uh, he he's on my friends list on uh, Facebook, so he'll see this. <laughs> um, I think I blocked him because he kept on trying to get me to join some political movement with him. I'm like, dude, I'm not a political person. Leave me out of this. I'm not voting Hillary. <laughs> I could care less about politics. You know what? I to- I was talking to a friend today about that actually politics, and I'm very left wing. He's very right wing, and. He's like, yo, left wing, really? Because I never would have known. I'm like, politics are a joke. That's what they use for. 
well, how used to make people well, like it's, it's one thing to be liberal. It's another thing to be left-wing. You could be liberal and not be left-wing. A liberal is just basically somebody who believes in individual freedom. And, you know, like, I mean, would you really call yourself like a progressive? Because when you say left-wing, I think progressive. I, I look as a liberal as just someone who tends to believe in the... Um, let's see. I'm trying to think of the right way to say this without coming off as a liberal. <laughs> but people who are more easygoing when it comes to things, allowances, laws, tight restrictions, and they believe in government assistance. <laughs> That's about it. Hmm. I mean, I, 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 it doesn't uh, bother me what political affiliation anybody's with, just as long as there's like, you know, uh, a procedure of, uh, not procedure, but just as long as there's some kind of like respect between people, you know, where it's like, you know, we could agree to disagree and we could still have a beer over it. There are a lot of people who can't do that. There are a lot of people that if they're right, that's the only way. But you never struck me as that. Oh, I'm not like that at all. <laughs> you can't. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So that's why, like, we, we you know, to me, it doesn't matter because it's like, you know, to me, it's like you're, you're Bob. Yeah. It's, it's not like I introduce you to my, to my family and go, hi, this is Bob Mango. He's a leftist. <laughs> I, mean, I don't do that. He believes in taking all your money and giving it to the poor. <laughs> that's what I believe. <laughs> Hi, Bernie. Take it easy. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? Maybe this is a gateway. Oh, <laughs> Maybe this is a gateway to the question that um, uh, Bob, you were a little um, iffy about this, but cancel culture. Define oh, God, we're going to politics. <laughs> oh, okay. No, 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 no. This is not getting into politics. But do you think people have the right? to cancel something if you don't like it. Cancel what? All right. Cancel a TV show, cancel a movie, a concert. Cancel a comedian. Bob, I know you're big into comedy. You, you <laughs> grew up a huge George Carlin fan. Mm -hmm. So like, let's say if a comedian says something that upsets a lot of people, do you think that that person should not, uh, should lose their livelihood? No, I, not at all. Especially when you don't, it, when you talk comedy and comedians, it's a whole different world because the rule one of comedy is there are no boundaries. There are no limits. So if you're someone who enjoys, and if you're someone that enjoys that, you will go see a comedian like that. If you're going to see Jeff Ross and you can get easy, I, I would not say you should be easily offended if you're going to see him or if you're going to see Jim Jeffries. If you're someone that's easily offended, you shouldn't be going there in the first place. The comments and the things these people say are just to make people laugh and get a reaction. It's not truth. You think someone's making a joke about rape or abortion and think they're being serious? It's a joke. It's meant to be funny. If you don't like that type of humor, you have the ability not to go. That's it. I agree. Freedom of choice. We have that. They have, just like you have every right not to like it, they have every right to say it in front of a group of people. I agree. I feel like once you start censoring comedy, what's stopping you from censoring anything? Everything gets censored. TV, uh, movies. The, the movies and TV already are censored. I'd say comedy is one of the last things that aren't censored to this day. Mm-hmm. Matt? Yeah, I agree. 
You know, I don't believe in censorship at all. Like, I, I've seen people, I don't really like talking about these politics stuff, but... Again, I, it's seen, not, we're not, we're not, I, the, the point of bringing this up wasn't to um, divide anyone politically. It was just a matter of like, okay, like you as a consumer, if someone does something, but you don't like it, do you feel like you as a consumer say, you know what? I choose not to buy it. I or mean, you say, cancel it, cancel it. It depends on how much the person pissed me off, I guess, ultimately. Like, I don't really care. I don't follow people in that regard. Uh, I've always drifted from circles to circles. So for me, it's like I can't be in a, a following when people are like, oh, this person says something bad. This person is this. It's like, for one, I don't care what anyone says. Somebody could say all sorts of racial slurs. And I'm like, okay, what makes it wrong they saying racial slurs? That, that's how he is. Like, I don't have to like him because of that. But at the same time, you're not going to change somebody from being a racist if they are based off of what they say. So if you're offended, who cares? This is America. And that's pretty much it. I don't care. I'm like so anti-censorship. It's ridiculous. Like, show, show, show girls boobs everywhere. Free America. <laughs> Go to Europe where you see boobs on TV on commercials. But no. That yeah, doesn't... no. I, I, uh, I was six years old. <laughs> Just said it right there. I don't think we want to talk anymore about what happened when you were six. No, no, I was I was vacationing. My my grandmother lived in Greece at the time, and uh, even worse. Now we're talking about Greece, and you at six years old. Just leave it alone, dude. She had a television set, and that's where you saw them on commercials. Oh, okay. Oh, at least you got to see them at six. Mine was National Geographic magazine. <laughs> <sighs> Mine was when oh. the uh, softcore shirt movie was on that night. <laughs> oh, yeah. When, once I got HBO and saw, I, I would film that stuff at night, and that, that's how I had pornos back then. Come on, man. Remember as a kid, Real Sex, the show? Oh, that was awesome. Yeah. I learned so much that I didn't understand because I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> now you look back and go watch it go, oh. Freaks <laughs> looking at back then, too. People will never understand the struggle of uh, scramble porn. Well, now we're talking real young, but yes. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I feel nine. You're like, all right, I can kind of make out that that looks like a boob or an elbow. I'm not sure which. A boob or an elbow. <laughs> these are struggles that the new generation won't have, so it's not even worth talking about. It's yeah. only things we can reminisce about. They'll never have these struggles. Hey, new generation, you're welcome. New generation, <laughs> you're also welcome for fast internet. And not having to see the picture alone, line by line. I mean, I remember people would, my friends would download different pictures and we share them with each other. Like, oh, I got this picture. You got this one. Are you referencing the hun.com right now, Matt? No, this is before now. Before I met hot. No, not hun. the hun.com. The hun. Uh, yeah, I remember, uh, I never really used the hun. That was hut's thing. I was more of a Peabot man myself. I was doing a Peabot. directory. Sublime directory. Yep. But yeah, you'd sit there and share pictures with people. I remember that. Man. <laughs> there's a disc. There's like eight pictures on that. And you're like, oh my God. <laughs> now you can get live shows on. <laughs> now you try to get rid of it because it's everywhere. <laughs> yeah, you're like, fuck, I can't. It's even in my browser history. It comes up immediately when I type in S on my browser. <laughs> 
Yeah, um, almost every letter of the alphabet has a different sight for me now. <laughs> X hamster, X videos. By the way, are they endorsing you for this? Man, it'd be cool to make some of that porno funny without having to be in porno. That would be cool. <laughs> but no, I'm not getting endorsed. But get sight views. Get sight yep. views. You talk to them. We, I, uh, but yeah, no, the, uh, the the scramble thing was, uh, yeah, that was a struggle, but it was it was a beautiful time to grow up. Anyway, all right. So, getting aside from music, I know one thing that we all used to love growing up was pro wrestling. Matt, you were an Undertaker fan. I remember that. Oh yeah, I, when I was a little kid, I still remember to this day the match with Undertaker and Hulk Hogan. Everyone in my neighborhood was all Hulk Hogan. I just thought Undertaker was cool, like. And when he won, I remember little kids in my neighborhood crying when Undertaker put Hogan in a casket. And they actually thought that Hulk Hogan was dead. It was hilarious. And I was happy. I was like, all right, cool. (laughs) (laughs) And then Hulk Hogan was back like a few days later on, whatever the heck was on back then. He hulked up in the hospital bed. And and, uh, Bobby, I never knew who your favorite wrestler was uh, around that time. Was it Stone Cold? Yeah, so I was a big Stone Cold fan back in the 90s, late 90s, early 2000s. I have to say he's my number one all time. So being that we remember when wrestling was awesome, you know, in the 90s you had WWF, WCW, and ECW. And you guys know I was always, I mean, I I love the two big federations, but I, I did... I was more of an ECW fan growing up, and to this day, I still hold the torch for it. But, yeah, I mean, Dark Side of the Ring, if anyone's been watching it, I mean, I I think I've seen every episode this season with the exception of the Chris Benoit one. Because I, I can't bring myself to see it. I can't do it. I'll tell you what. The one that I found more disturbing, I found the Owen Hart more disturbing, and the Dino Bravo one was much more disturbing. All right, so somebody fill me in on what Dark Side of the Ring is. Dark Side of the Ring television show produced that shows like tragedies that have happened and what the wrestling business actually is. So they'll take a story like, you know, Chris Benoit. Yeah. So what they did was they did a two-part documentary on everything on Chris Benoit's career and then what led up to his eventual uh, murder-suicide of his family and then kind of hinted that and kind of made, and they're kind of implying that wrestling played a big part in his mental condition, and what wrestling did to him that made him flip out like that. So, is this Netflix? Amazon no, it's Fox? Vice actually. Vice, Vice, Vice TV. Hmm. Viceland. Yep. Um, it's you know it's, it's got it's on its second season. The first was I thought the first was all right. This season's been amazing. Um, one story they had. I don't know if you remember Dino Bravo in the eighties. Mm, the name sounds familiar. I probably remember if I saw his face. He was a French Canadian wrestler with like huge muscles and like platinum blonde hair. Everyone had huge muscles back in the but steroids was like all over the place back then. Yeah, he was. He wear like these like light blue shorts with Quebec lo- uh, the Nordique logo on them. Yeah, I think I remember. Him. I still see his face. He had a manager called Frenchie Martin. Like you find out that he got involved with like the Canadian mob and like cigarette running. Wait, yeah. the Canadians have a mob? Yeah, oh yeah, there's a big mob thing, and they basically, he wound up, uh, they found him, like, dead in, like, a hotel room with, like, 17 bullets. What, what was his hotel room or his house? 
I think it was a hotel room. I'm not sure. Maybe it was his house. I don't know. Because his wife and daughter came home to see him dead with 17 bullet wounds. And then they they also said that, I found this interesting, that it looked like he didn't even try to brace himself. So whoever it was killed him without him even thinking they were going to kill him. It wasn't like he was like, oh, God, and like braced for it. He was just there. Probably got shot in the back of the head. Yeah, maybe. They think it was, they think it was someone that knew him. They, don't, they never solved who did it. Hmm. But that's what the show's about, like stories like that. Oh, wrestling seems fun. Well, what the, they paint Vince McMahon in like the worst light ever. Well, I've heard he's not been a really good person, so whatever. No, I mean, I, one of the things that struck me was uh, that over the edge pay per view. Afterwards, there was a press conference with Vince McMahon talking to the press, and um, just his, his demeanor and like the way he was. Like a reporter asked him a question, and he was like, "You know, frankly, I don't like the tone of your voice." Yes. And I was, and, but it's funny though, because I, 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 anytime I try to come up with an opinion on something, I try to research it first. So I actually watched the full interview. It was, it was, it was on YouTube. It was only about a minute of it. But the same reporter asked a question and he answered back in, in a sarcastic manner. So when you hear in, in the Vice episode, I don't appreciate your sarcasm. He was sarcastic with her first from a simple question that he asked her, then asked, then made the statement, frankly, I don't like the tone of your voice. Well, she was implying that he was responsible for Owen Hart's death. Well, he kind of was because Owen did mention that he had a fear of heights, but he said he would do it anyways because he was a company guy. He was always going to do it because the fear of, the way Vince works, if you say no, you get buried and you lose your job eventually. You'll never make it. And he didn't want that. He felt the pressure to go up there and do something that he didn't necessarily want to do. And because of the way it looked so bungled in the past, they decided to lax the security lax the security measures, and that led to his death. You guys remember Jim Cornette, by the way? Yeah. Yeah, he <laughs> talks about all the time how uh, Vince Russo was the idiot behind writing that because he it was his idea to bring back the blue blazer because he thought it was funny and entertaining which i don't know why he thought that but anyway well as we all know from brawl for all vince russo's a fucking idiot <laughs> oh, that i could not i didn't even know that took place i don't even remember that taking place for all for all i did and i thought it was the dumbest thing ever my brothers and i would watch it and we're like they're really hitting each other I probably thought it was staged. I probably thought it was watching it was staged. Yeah, unfortunately it wasn't because Vince Russo tried to blur the, uh, uh, he, he tried to blur the lines between um, wrestling as a um, predetermined performance arts no, and UFC. He tried, he tried to bring some kind of real, like even when he talks today, he refers to it as fake wrestling, fake wrestling. Like, he didn't try to do any of that. He had a beef with JBL, and that's why he set this all up. I forgot about that. Yeah, you're right. He goes, he's like, I cannot get anyone in this locker room. So then he said, all right. And he got a whole tournament based on that because he didn't like JBL. I hope Matt's coming back. Oh, there he is. All right, cool. So, well, 
yeah, all right, well, even though a lot of it was great back then, there were stupid things. And thank you to Vince Russo for screwing it up for the rest of us. But, uh, it, but I, I guess the question is, you know, we grew up wrestling fans then. Now it's like, it, I can honestly say that it's not as good as it was as we remember growing up. And even now with like all these independent promotions around, and now you have WWE and AEW. In, uh, you have AEW and WCW's old network, TNT. But does, is it safe to say that nobody even cares about wrestling anymore? No. It's still a multi-billion dollar business. Some people care about it. It's just a newer generation. Yeah. It just keeps going over. And their goal is not to keep you. Their goal is to get the whole new level of kids into wrestling. Mm-hmm. Wrestling is not geared towards adults. Right, but do you think that the more that it's, uh, the, the more the business is exposed, it kind of kills it for everybody? No. You know it's a production. You know going in it's a production. Basically, this is going to sound messed up, I guess, to wrestling fans, but wrestling is just basically a male soap opera. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, eventually... People get out of the women get out of those old soul puppets like Days of Our Lives, which is still going to this day. It's just now it's a new generation of women that watch it. <laughs> That's all it is. So it's the male equivalent to that. Wrestling is Days of Our Lives or Young and the Restless, whatever the heck. They're still around today, those shows. Yeah. So my mom doesn't watch them anymore, but I'm sure somebody's watching them. <laughs> I guess so. I'm sure they're getting ratings now from this uh, lockdown. But anyways, though, so uh, we're about to wrap up in a little bit. So, by the way, for people who are listening on their um, uh, streaming media, so we're recording this on Zoom. Bob has a Spatula City background from UHF. And uh, Matt has a Nightmare on Elm Street Part 4 background behind him. And I love UHF. I love uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. I'm glad that, you know, my friends from olden days to today, like we all have similar likes from metal to horror to entertainment. It's great. Uh, one of the, Actually, real quick, uh, Matt and I, we were talking about it before. We were talking about remakes of uh, horror films. He said he saw Nightmare on Elm Street. I saw Friday the 13th and uh, Evil Dead. And, you know, I thought they held up. But um, can't go wrong with the classics. And one thing I, I, I love about those films is, yeah, the special effects were done by people, not by CGI. And if they were great, they wowed you. If they were horrible, you laughed at it. It was enjoyable. <laughs> I, I can't make fun of CGI. I have to Terminator it too. It took it to a whole new level. And then... <laughs> Rise of the Machines and Genesis ruined it. Terminator. Well, that's just a bad writing and bad script. But if you think about it, Terminator 2, the CGI was awesome. If you look at it today, it still holds up. You look at yeah, Terminator it 1, it doesn't. But Terminator 2 does. But I love that first Terminator film because I think I appreciated its grittiness. Yeah, it's a great movie. I can still appreciate it. I'm just saying when it comes to when it comes to the the special effects side of it, it doesn't hold up. I mean, the the, the story's always got to be the story. 
Right. But, but Terminator 2, the, the, literally, the effects hold up to this day. That's yeah. like almost 20 plus years now, I think. I think probably Jurassic Park might be the uh, other film where you could say that about, where the special effects still hold up. Yeah, I just don't want to watch Jurassic Park again. I mean, it's all right. <laughs> it's I cool saw special it the, effects. But. I saw it in the theater, and it was a great experience. When I saw it on VHS, I was like, meh, not enjoying it as much. I oh, think Cool story. What's that? Cool storyline alone. Jurassic Park. Yep. Like Somebody's that. microwave is done. I just heard a bang. Remind me to turn off Messenger when I'm honest. Anyways, so we're about to wrap it up. And uh, first of all, I can't thank these two gentlemen uh, enough for uh, being on the show with me today. Um, I have nothing but love and respect in my heart for uh, Bob Mango and Matt Michelow. These guys have been with me through the best and worst of times and very proud to still call them my brothers 22 years after I met them. Guys, I can't thank you enough for being on the show. Um, once again, uh, please check out Matt's channel with his lovely girlfriend, Cindy. Uh, it's called Coco Mocha Media. It's on YouTube. You got it. <laughs> Anything else you want to promote? Uh, you can check out Alpha Flex Fitness dot com as well it's a new website i just built up but i haven't put it out there yet for people but you can go right now it's up i was gonna send it to you anyway next week or this week cool uh yeah one thing i'm gonna say to put matt over though is um this guy is the best personal trainer that i know because this guy at one point got me in the best shape of my life on two different occasions the first occasion was for me to just well, not have to wear a size 48 waist anymore, which I'm proud to say that I don't. And um, he also got me in the condition to run my first ever and only Tough Mudder in 2016 in tribute to my late brother, Michael. And I ran it uh, uh, for the charity, the National Kidney Foundation, in tribute to my brother, Tony, who ended up getting a kidney a year later. So, Matt, thank you for being, uh, you know, a, an, a, an amazing friend and uh, an amazing trainer. So this is the guy you got to go to. You know what? I'm going to credit Matt, too. Recently, Matt looked at my diet, analyzed it, and gave me a better plan. Um, since January, I'm down 30 pounds. Nice job, Bob. Congratulations, Bob. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, Bob Mango, I... <laughs> I, I think the world of this guy uh, because he's just, um, well, first of all, him getting Downright a, sexy. Him, him getting a shit suit made me want to get a shit suit. So I thank you for that. Um, but on top of that, like Bob was my radio co-host at St. John's radio for four years. I couldn't have asked for a better partner. I mean, so many great times, so many great memories. Um, I think about, all the hell that we raised on air, all the people that we pissed off saying that we were too loud in the, in the, in the, uh, cafeteria. <laughs> no, like, cafeteria. <laughs> you know, and, uh, Bob, you know, thank you for being the best partner, uh, for four years in college radio, man. That was something I, I, I don't take for granted. And, thank you, uh, thank you so much for doing it. And, uh, is there anything you want to promote? Right now? No. Um, there are a couple things in the works, but, let me get them finished first before I uh, start promoting. 
All right, cool. So thank you guys. And once again, I want to thank everybody for downloading and listening to the Music is Live podcast with Lou Mavs. Once again, I am Lou Mavs. You can find the Music is Live podcast exclusively on the Rat Salad Review. God freaking damn it with the stupid things. It's my mother. Censorship. Censorship. I'm not the bad one today. <laughs> Anyways, you can find me. You can find Music is Live exclusively on the Rat Salad Review Network. And you can also find uh, at every possible streaming source that you can, whether it's uh, Apple uh Apple iTunes podcast. You can also find us on Google. You can find us on uh, Spreaker, Spotify. And well, that's about it. A uh, couple of shout outs I want to give. Jcat Morris of Yakuza Kick Radio. Uh, Wayne Noon over at Route Style Review, who had me on his recent King Diamond podcast called This Broadcast Belongs to Them, where I discussed the... Uh, King Diamond album Conspiracy with Wayne and Greg and Ralph Vieira of Vieira Vaults. And uh, thanks again, Wayne, for having me on. Also check out uh, my boy Shaheen, who does graphics paintings over at Nuclear Heat Graphics. And big shout out to, again, Ralph Vieira of Vieira Vaults. Um, please listen to Aaron and um, Chris over at Decibel Geek. And goddamn, I think I'm out of uh, uh, other plugs, but that's all I got to say. Anyways, this has been Music is Life. This is Lou Mavs saying thanks, everyone. Cheers. Take care. Looking for some new podcasts to listen to? Well, Rat Sound Review Network has plenty of shows to choose from, like Rat Sound Review, where they discuss the latest rock and metal news, as well as interviews and albums. Album versus album. The King Diamond Podcast with Wayne Noon, Greg Noggle, and sometimes this guy. Schmackamagob! Ralph Vieira is also on our network with the Vieira Vault. There's also Old Man Metal's Musings, where he discusses heavy metal and beer. Music is Life with Lou Mavs. The Right Opinion for Those Who Love Politics. A South Park podcast called Suck My Balls. The Infinite Fringe. A watch-along wrestling show called Beyond Bushido. Ex-Stradivarius guitarist, the Timo Tolki podcast. And the great Harry Barnett with I Don't Even Like podcast and the Laughcast. So check out RatSoundReview.com or search RatSoundReview on YouTube, Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and more.